0: Let me go ahead, and I'm actually going to show a video in just a moment because as many of you realize, yesterday was the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Can you guys believe that? How many of you, I mean, it, it feels like it was forever ago, and it feels like it was yesterday. Uh, my wife and I were talking and I said hey I don't know if you can believe this or not but it's the 20th anniversary we talked through that and we both said we're gonna watch a little bit of the History Channel documentaries and stuff like that that were coming out and so we ended up looking at some of that and then Shelly said do you remember how close we were on our vacation to being there at the time that that happened do you guys see the picture now don't you dare say anything about me looking skinnier or anything like that. I mean, that's a given, right? I'm repping Houston all the way up there in, North, uh, in New York City in the Northeast. Check out the date, July 20th of 2001. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, if you, if you don't recognize, that's my 25-year-old that's closest to me. That is my 24-year-old that's closest to Shelly. And that's my baby 20-year-old that's in the... Uh, the scooter (laughs) at that time so 20 years ago we were literally on Liberty Island looking back and do you see what's in the background clearly that's the reason that I'm showing it today Um, probably some of you guys remember visiting New York City or even living in New York City when those Twin Towers were standing and um, you know in many ways uh, that was a very very pivotal day that was a day that, if you remember and recall, it was one of those days that made me feel a lot like the pandemic made me feel, looking back on it. Do you remember that they literally said, no more airplanes flying today? Every single airplane grounded. Do you remember that, they were, that there was a blood shortage, that they were lining us up to go and give blood? Do you remember that uh, they were just worried to death about the letters that might have contained the biological weapon anthrax, and so literally people were not even answering their mail. Do you guys remember? How many of y'all had forgotten that? You have forgotten about that? The truth is, is that it's very, very easy to forget exactly how things did happen. But the truth of the matter is, is that the thing that's always gone with this event in our history is never forget. And I think that it's... I think it's really important, and let me just share it with you in this way. I think our world has become a world where we are shallow and quick to move on to the next thing, and we fail to learn the things that history often teaches us because we're already on to the next thing, but the truth of the matter is is that there's so much to learn from the thing that happened at the Twin Towers, we realize that there is such a thing as evil in the world. Anybody who would attack civilians on purpose, knowingly, knowing that there's no uh, military situation in the World Trade Center, knowing that that's not going on at the White House, it is purely a political and civilian kind of thing, and they are attacking in that way, trying to kill and it's an amazing thing. We, we learned last night, Shelly and I did, as we were talking uh, and watching the different documentaries that we on. It's an incredible thing that there wasn't a, 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 lo- a loss of life three or four times more than what it, what it was, you know. But it's an amazing way uh, to, to, to look at life when you hate somebody that you've never seen or met that much. And so we need to be very careful that we learn that, yes, evil is out there. And that's part of the reason that Christ had to come, that we might be saved from that kind of evil and that we might have a home where even when crazy things happen here, we're reminded that the truth is is that God is still in control and he has not taken his hands off of his creation in any way. There's a, a movie that I'd like to share. I've shared it once before, but... I want to share it again it's called on that day and it is something I think that you will be blessed by and it will probably hit you emotionally but it is good to be reminded of exactly what we were experiencing back in those days so let's check out this movie called on that day
1: the world was different that day the economy was booming 401ks were solid and a vast Eight out of ten Americans wouldn't be able to define the word jihad. On that day, something happened that changed everything. That day was a Tuesday. For most of us, our only connection to the events of that day was what we saw on television. However, we are all connected and that we all have a place. For some of us, it's a spot on the highway. For others, it's in an office. Or a coffee with a friend. It's the place we will never forget. The place where we watched it happen. So here we are, many days later, still hurt, still angry, still trying to understand why. First Corinthians 13 explains that we don't see things clearly right now. In essence, we just won't be able to understand in this lifetime things like what happened on that day. However, it goes on to say that one day we will see all things clearly. But until that day comes, we have three things to embrace, to help us in our reconciliation. Faith in God, unswerving hope, and love. And the greatest of the three is love. Through the shock and the horror, something else happened on that day. Although the evil intentions appeared to be a success, our country Embraced the complete opposite of what was intended. Instead of division, there was unity. Instead of confusion, there was clarity. And instead of falling apart, we banded together. But then again, that's the way one nation under God will always respond.
0: Um, Recently, we've been finalizing the pullout of Afghanistan, and I'm not gonna do anything that's politically motivated up here from the pulpit. You probably know me pretty well at this point, and I don't shy away from these topics, but I don't try to teach and preach and bang some sort of drum about the political side of things, but whatever is or isn't happening, we've had soldiers and their families that have made great sacrifices, over decades at this point. And um, men and women that have come back broken physically and emotionally as well, uh, all because of the things that happened on that day and the way that we as a country were attacked. And so I think it'd be fitting for us to remember as the 20-year mark goes by yesterday that we need to be encouraging to one another that we need to be reminded that we are first Americans, all of us, first Americans, not whatever else might come underneath that label. And I think it would be good for all of us to be reminded that whenever we have an opportunity to say thank you to those who have sacrificed so that we didn't have to worry about so many of the things that other people in the world have to deal with every day, and we just simply take for granted. Amen? Like, we just take it for granted that we're gonna be safe. We take it for granted that that stuff doesn't happen on these shores and on this soil. And for the most part, that was what was so shocking about 9-11 is that it happened here. And now it's been roughly about 20 years and it hasn't happened again. That doesn't happen by accident. God has been with us, but I think many of our Agencies as well as our military have been very diligent and they've been trying their very best to continue to protect us. And so for that I think it would be good for all of us to make sure if you have an opportunity at any time to say thank you for your service to somebody that served, especially in this conflict, um, you need to do so. (laughs) Lift them up and pat them on the back and shake their hand and buy their meal if you get a chance. And say thank you because we don't need to take for granted. You know, never forget could be a slogan or it could be a a, a real thing. And I think it needs to be a real thing. Amen? I mean, don't you? And so for that, we want to lift these people up. No matter what sacrifice they have made, we want to honor them today. And so God, as we think about those who have given of their life, those who have been in the military, we've got... Young people in the military even right now serving in distant places and protecting uh, the interests of the United States and making sure that the things that would go uninhibited and unhindered, the evil that might take place in this world is not happening because they are faithful and they are trained and they are willing and able to defend our country. And I thank you, Lord, for the way of life that we just simply often take for granted here. I'm not glad that we take it for granted, but I'm glad for the level of freedom and the level of safety that we have grown accustomed to, Lord. We give you praise and know that it's not accidental. And so I pray that we would never forget to honor those who have served our country and been so faithful. We know that there are those who are coming back from... Afghanistan, Iraq, and other places, they come back broken physically and broken. Some of them even come back uh, only in the caskets that they have been provided. Lord, there's loss everywhere, and I pray that you would bring healing and that you would use us, your children, as instruments of that healing, I pray. God, we give you praise and glory and thanks. For the place that we live, the place that we call home, and we know that what has made this country great and continues to do so is as much as we depend upon you. And God, I pray that we would be called back and not just never forget what 9-11 means, but also never forget our spiritual heritage which has made this the greatest country in the world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, well thank you so much for giving us an opportunity to remember. I wanna go ahead and dismiss the kids to the back. We've got some kids that are gonna be heading to the back and I believe we're also going back with the teenagers as well. So kids and teens, y'all can go ahead and be dismissed to your classes back in the back. And uh, we will also in a moment uh, share the scripture reading. So thank you guys, thank you teachers as well for being a part. And if you are staying in here, Acts chapter 16 is where I'm going to be preaching and teaching from. So Acts chapter 16, go ahead and grab your Bibles, grab your phones, that kind of thing. Now, I'm watching you. If you're not reading off your phone, if you're doing tons of typing, I know what's going on. I'll call you down. All right, but don't do it. Acts chapter 16, grab that, and we will share that in just one moment. all right before we read from acts chapter 16 we are going to simply uh, ask for a very quick uh, blessing on the the offering if you're at home you can make a donation through our website you can make a donation through easy tithe you can make a donation via paypal and we would love to have you participate in that way We need you. We need your part uh, to be played. And those of you who are here, thank you for your faithfulness to be here. And many of you thank you also for your faithfulness in the financial side that continues to help us as we reach around the world and as we do our job and duty here in this place. Heavenly Father, please help us to be a generous church because we serve a generous God. Bless this offering that is going to be uh, given today. I pray that you would take it and multiply it and use it for your kingdom work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. Well, if you think you're going to forget later, you can go ahead and jump up and move over there. Uh, Feel free. I'm going to review a little bit about where we've been. But first, I want to tell you that today I am going to do something that I don't normally do. I'm going to lean really, really heavily on the book, and it's the chapter number four, from the book that I've been sharing with you from In a a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. And I'm gonna share that with you in just a moment. But I'm leaning heavily on that book today, probably more so than I hardly ever do. Usually I will use different pieces and parts, some of the quotes, various things like that. Today I'm leaning heavily on chapter four and I believe it will be one that challenges and is a blessing to you. I encourage you, if you'd like to be a part of it, go ahead and jump in on Audible. It's good stuff. I get no kickbacks, but it should be something that really helps you as you grow. The big idea from week number one was just this. Success is to do the best I can with what I have where I am. Today, as we talk a little bit about The idea of being lion-hearted and living beyond our fears, it is not about those things that might make us fearful in our modern day, but instead it's more of the fears that we have that keep us from attempting or trying to live the best life that we possibly can. The fear of rejection, the fear of failure, the fear of people accepting or not accepting us, those things that we fear about things we have and own and possess and not wanting to put them at risk. This is so important for us to grasp and understand. The more that we live our lives according to our fears, the less and less enjoyable and the less and less powerful our lives are, not just for ourselves, but also for those around us, as well as God's kingdom. We also talked a little bit about how we're really only born with two fears, and so all of the other fears that we have are things that we've learned. And the good news is, is if we learned them, we can also, guess what, unlearn them as well. And then last week we talked a little bit about this uh, in this uh, next one, this big idea that I'm revisiting. That God is great because nothing is too big for him and nothing is too small for him. We talked about how for many of us, we say, yeah, well, God can do that, but that's a big thing. So of course he can do that. That's God for you. And so we just simply ask him for the big things and don't ask him at all for the small things in our lives. And yet those are often the things that really, truly matter. And so we need to be very aware that there's nothing too big for God, but there's also nothing too small. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, or if you don't remember, go back and reread, or not not reread, but re-listen to last week's sermon or catch it on podcast or whatever it is. You can go back and watch that again. It's a really powerful thing that could change your life. All right, so I want to just go all the way to Mark Batterson's quote number A, and this is slide number seven, and I'm kind of skipping around here, but he listened or listened to this quote as he shared this with us. He says. Our best, often, our best days often start off as our worst days, and our greatest opportunities are often disguised as our biggest problems. You can land in a pit with a lion on a snowy day, and it will seem like the end of the road. But God is in the recycling business. He recycles past experiences and uses them to prepare us for future opportunities. In other words, the things that you've been through are things that God is going to use you To be a blessing with those things. Now, I shared with you, we're going to share from Acts chapter 16. So, you guys, if you don't mind, please stand in honor of God's word. We're going to read Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 22. Verse 34 is where we're going to end. So let's check it out. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. This is Paul and Silas visiting the city of Philippi. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. When they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, and he fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Talk about a captive audience. Paul went to preach. Now they couldn't get away from him, right? No matter how long he went, they couldn't shut him down. By the way, it's really important to notice something. People don't listen to your witness and your words when everything is going perfect in your life. People listen to your witness and your words when you're having a hard time, right? That's when you really see what people are made of. And suddenly in verse 26, there was a violent earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken. And all at once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. You see, back in those days, let me just do a really quick aside. If you lost a prisoner, it was your life for theirs. And so whenever he thought he was about to lose the whole jail you know, to escapees, he knew he was dead. And so he was just going to go ahead and Take the honorable, quote-unquote, you know how the Greeks were and the, and the Romans were back then. That was the, quote-unquote, honorable way and do the job himself. But the jailer woke up, saw that they were gone, and he started to commit suicide with his own sword. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all still here. So the jailer calls for lights. He rushed in and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas, and then he brought them out and said, sirs. What must I do to be saved? Verse 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then when they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house, and at that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, and immediately he and all of his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God He and his whole household. And Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit and our life's practice. Amen. You can be seated. So here's the something to learn that I share with you guys today. Uh, it's going to be up here on the screen. The Apostle Paul went on three missionary journeys, visiting many cities, most of them in modern Turkey. That's where Philippi was located. In this second journey that he took, took him to that city, Philippi, where he and Silas were beaten and imprisoned. Later... This is where the book of Philippians comes. This, this city of Philippi, it's the biblical book of Philippians written to this church. And so you get a little bit of a glimpse in the book of Acts as to how this, this church kind of began uh, a, a church in the first place and how it began. And it's a pretty crazy place, actually, to think about a church because I don't know if you can imagine for a moment, the church didn't really get started until Paul got himself beaten silly. Now, I'm talking about a close-to-death kind of experience. How many of you guys have remembered recently in some of the news stories, some of the Asian countries where people have gone and they've acted up, American citizens doing things that were against the law in those places, and they took them and they had them publicly flogged? Do you guys remember that? That happens still to this day. This is the kind of beating that Paul and Silas took. Now... Did you remember or did you hear from Acts chapter 16 a minute ago that we were reading? Do you remember what they were doing at midnight? Now, I can tell you, I've preached on this passage of scripture before and I said the same words. But I tell you, I would not be laying there singing songs about how good God was if I had just been beaten within inches of my life. I know that Paul is a better man than I am. Can I get an amen, right? I mean... Wow, I'm telling you, this is seeing beyond and realizing and grasping that God's in control even in the midst of it all. But isn't this crazy? Here's what's amazing. Paul and Silas are singing these songs. They're praising and worshiping the Lord. They're lifting him up in the midst of this pain, in the midst of not knowing what is about to happen, not knowing that the captive audience is about to become followers of Christ. But let's hit pause for just a second. Let's grasp and understand that the whole reason Paul went into Philippi was to do what? He wanted to share the cause of Christ. He wanted to plant a church. God's ways are not our ways. We would never say, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go get beaten within inches of my life. I'm going to get thrown in jail. And then while I'm in the chains, I'm going to start singing and then a church will be born. That is not exactly the way that most people would recommend it starting but that's how it happened. Why? Because God was in it. And sometimes God does things that don't make any sense to us. God puts us on a path that A, we don't understand, and B, we don't like. I mean, let's, let's keep it real. Can, can I get an amen on that, right? Let's keep it real. We don't like it. I promise you Paul would have said, I tell you what, how about I send out a mailer via mail How about I send out a Paul Revere character running down the street, say, Come to church, come to church, come to church. And then I'll start a church in that way. That would have been a lot more preferable than being thrown into this terrible dungeon, not sure if you'd get out, being beaten within inches of your life, all of those things. But isn't it awesome? to see that God gave him the power to overcome his circumstances and say, you know what, it doesn't matter about how I feel. I came here to share Christ and his love, and so I'm going to do that no matter who's listening. And look around. Man, these guys ain't going nowhere, so I may as well start preaching and singing. That's what I'm going to do. And so as he did, the power of God gets unleashed. Now listen, this is not an accident, what we're talking about right here and right now. For you and for me, if we can ever get to the place where we can stop bad mouth in all of our circumstances, every single time nothing seems to be going our way, we, we constantly talk negatively about things that are really small in the grand scheme of things. We've become too soft as people who follow the Lord. Most of us as Christians... We don't even understand what it means to suffer just a little bit for the Lord, much less the things that Paul is enduring, that Silas is enduring, and they're doing so with an attitude that we can't even fathom right? I mean, most of us come in with a worse attitude (laughs) to church if we overslept or or if we didn't get enough sleep, right? I mean, we come into with a worse attitude to church, you know, we got air conditioning. I didn't throw any of y'all in chains. I mean, some of you, I thought about it, but no, I didn't do that to any of you today. I'm kidding. Kidding, kidding. kidding. So here's the thing. We have to realize that our life is not just simply our life, that God is involved in doing things that go way beyond just simply making us comfortable. The truth of the matter is, is that for us, we need to be giving our whole and total lives over to God. And for most of us, we don't do that unless we get what we hope for back in return. Now, I'm gonna hit pause, and I'm gonna say something real quick. Here's the problem. Most of us can understand the idea and the concept of our lives just kind of being meh. You know, it's not great, it's not terrible, but it's kind of in the middle because we're so used to a high level of amazingness in our world that we've gotten so accustomed to that level that we don't, we, we can't fathom any small inconvenience for something bigger than our own personal comfort. And as we look at the book of Acts here, we realize that Paul and Silas are doing something of eternal significance. They're doing that through pain, through being willing to be inconvenienced in every way possible. And so as that happens, we are challenged to say, you know what, if I'm going to live a life that is above the things that I've always lived, it probably is going to call for me to go deeper, to go harder, to go further to go more than I ever would have thought that I was po- you know, possibly capable of. And the truth of the matter is, is that for Paul and Silas, when they gave, God returned. And for many of us, that's never happening because we never give to that point. So very quickly, who are we talking about in this book of with a, in a pit with a lion on a snowy day? Let's go to some more info from 1 Chronicles chapter 11. It's right here on this screen. Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits, struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion, and he struck down an Egyptian who was five cubits tall. That's seven foot six, basically. I mean, that's Yao Ming that he fought, okay? And here's what's even crazier. Do you remember what happened because of this exploit? He was made the bodyguard of a guy that we all know pretty well, a guy by the name of King David of Israel. Have you ever stopped to think why King David said, I'm going to pull you from the ranks and I'm going to make you my own personal bodyguard? I can't help but think David was a giant killer and so was, so was Benaniah. David was a lion killer and so was Benaniah. Did you know that? Let's go to this next slide. If you remember... And one of the biggest defining moments of David's life, what did he say? He's talking to King Saul, and he says, let me go fight Goliath. He's like, you can't do it. You're a little bitty scrawny kid who's got no training. And David said, no, 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 I've got training. You just haven't seen my training. Here's what he said. Your servant, that's the way that they used to refer to themselves. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. All right, not very impressive so far, Right. But he says, so when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and I struck it and I killed it. That's pretty cool, right? I mean, that's pretty awesome. And let's go to this next slide. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine as well. In other words, what I've already done is setting me up for what I'm right about to do. I'm going to say that one more time. And y'all can get ready with a good amen, all right? What you have already done sets you up for what you are about to do. Amen. Hey, is that all it takes? Man, y'all are easy. <laughs> I like it. Here's the truth. The truth of the matter is, is that God has been preparing you and me with small victories to bring us towards the bigger ones. Making small sacrifices to bring us to the place where we're capable and willing to give him a big one because we know that there is no such thing as outgiving God and here is the big idea that I want to share with you this is it to live lion-hearted your faith must be larger than your fears and your feelings to live lion-hearted lives this is how it is your faith has to be larger than your fears and your feelings now I've shared that with you and you guys know I I can't quote it perfectly, but let me just explain to you. We have heard from different ones who understood and put it in finer words in a better way than I have. But they basically said courage is not the absence of fear. But courage is understanding that there is something more important than the fear that you feel in that moment. Now, right? I mean, you guys understand that. Now, I don't know if some of you guys have ever proposed to your wives, but there was fear there, right? right? You're like, uh-oh, what if she says no? Shelley said no six or seven times before she finally saw what God's will was for her life, right? <laughs> no, that's not true, actually, that's not true. But here's what's funny. There is fear, but there is also a reward that's bigger on the other side. So you might feel afraid, but you go, you know what? I'm gonna get over that and I'm gonna forget that. And our family used to have a saying every time we'd go to a, a crazy roller coaster or uh, the, the places that we would go and ride these crazy water slides and stuff like that, we'd say this in this way, we'd say the fear lasts a moment the glory lasts a lifetime. <laughs> We'd be talking about how we rode that crazy, you know, roller coaster, that crazy water slide. We're going to be afraid for a minute, but when we're done, hey, we can always say we already did it. Man, I don't want to do that again. I've already done that. <laughs> you know, even though we know that we're because we're nervous. So to live lion hearted, your faith has to be larger than your fears and your feelings. Now, very quickly, would you guys say that with me? to live lion-hearted, your faith must be larger than your fears and your feelings. So if you wanna live a life that truly makes a difference, makes an impact, is an inspiring life, then it's done in this way. It's not lived by your fears. It's not even lived just simply according to your feelings because the truth of the matter is is that I don't wanna raise my kids to be natural, I want to raise my kids to be supernatural, <laughs> that, that touch of God on their life. I don't want my marriage to be the natural way things are. I want it to be touched by the supernatural. And that is not done by doing what I feel is right. It's done doing what I know is right beyond what I feel like doing in the moment. I could go a long ways down that road. I'm not going to, but you understand what I'm saying here. My faith has got to be bigger than my fears. And it's also got to carry me through the moment of my feelings wanting to tell me to do the wrong thing. That's how I live the best life that I possibly can live. The lion-hearted life, the inspiring life that makes a difference and an impact no matter who and where I am. Now, very quickly, there's a couple of theological words I want to throw out to you. These are theological words that we use as, as Christians in churches a lot. We talk about Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. Yes, he is the Savior. He is not just the Savior when you needed to be washed of your sins and come to know him for the very first time. He is also the Savior when you are out of luck and you don't know where to turn in this day, today. This very day, God can be the Savior of your life and mine, right? So it's not just way back when Jesus was the Savior when he died on the cross. He is the Savior today of the things that are going wrong in my life that I don't have the power to do something about. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? And then we talk about Jesus is the Redeemer. Oh, Christ the Redeemer church. Christ the Redeemer statue in Brazil, all that stuff. We talk about him being the Redeemer all the time. How many of you have ever redeemed a coupon at, uh, at HEB? Let me see your hands, right? Yeah. Here's this trashy little piece of paper I yanked off or something really good. Give me some money. What happened? You just redeemed a coupon. You, you put something of little value and got something of great value back. Christ is the Redeemer. He's the one who brings beauty from ashes he's the one who turns graves into gardens, right? I mean, this is who God is. So when we talk about him redeeming, you know what that means? That means my wildness when I was a teenager, God redeems it and turns it into something that is worthwhile. It's not that he wanted me to be wild, but the wildness that I had, I've turned from, and he still uses it to this day to shape me into a vessel that he can use. That's the redeeming power of God. We talk all the time, Christ the Redeemer, Christ the Redeemer. Here's what it means. It means no matter what you've done, God can use it if you're willing to let him have it and use it to live a lion-hearted life. But you know, most of us are so forgetful that Christ the Redeemer that we sing about, we don't think about the fact that, hey, I can be honest and say, you know what, my life is jacked up before I met the Lord and this is what I did, but now I don't have to live that way anymore. We don't have to bury it in our past and be ashamed of it. He redeems it because his power is powerful enough to say, Randy, all that junk and trash, give that to me and I'm going to make something beautiful out of it, even though it was not the best thing in your past. That's why he buys it back. He recasts our bad into lessons, into good, and even joy in these things that God has redeemed in our life. You guys understand what I'm saying here? Amen? So here's the truth. Here's what we share very quickly. This, how do we get beyond our fears? How do we begin to live lion hearted? We have to worship. (laughs) Here's the problem our problems aren't going to get smaller. Our problems are not going to get smaller. Our fears, most of the time, don't go away, they continue to grow. But here is what is great we can allow our God to grow bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's not that. He needs to get bigger. (laughs) Oh, we're going to, you know, really start relying on the Lord when he gets his stuff together. No, 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 no. Don't get it twisted. It ain't that. It's you and me saying, you know what? God is big enough in my life that I can take my hands off of this now. I don't have to live that way anymore. He's always been able. Now I'm willing to trust him. When God is so big in my life, it's not that he got bigger. It's that my eyes got more open, right? And so when when David says, I've already seen God working in my life in small ways and here I stand at the threshold of a thing that I probably don't have to do, but yet I can feel this thing that God is stirring up inside of me that I've got to do it. It's this thing that's going to change my life forever. It's going to happen right here and right now. God didn't say, good luck to you. I know you've never done anything, but get out there and knock them dead, son. He said, no, I've brought you to this point. I've already shown you that I can do this. I've already shown you that I am with you. I have not ever left your side. I've brought you through the things you didn't think that you could do. And here you stand at the threshold of something amazing. Go out and do this thing. And God sends us in that way. That's what God does. And it's not for you and for me. It is for his glory. And that is so important. We begin to worship. And the problem for most of us is we're so wrapped up in self that God doesn't get any bigger because there's only room for me and not enough room for He, right? Do You understand what I'm saying? And so here, worship is forgetting about what's wrong with me (laughs) and remembering about what's right with God. Worship is not about me, it is about God. And this is so important because the more we remember and the more often we remember what is right about God, the more we realize God's big enough and he can handle this. I don't need to be living a life based on my fears. All right, very quickly, there's another quote that I want to share with you, and then I'm going to hit the, hit the afterburners here. Prayer is less about changing our circumstances and more about changing our perspective Maybe the problem that you thought you could never overcome will turn into, not onto, but into a 500 pound opportunity. That's what a lion weighs, by the way. So this thing that you thought is a big problem is actually maybe just a big opportunity in God's hands. Very quickly, a few things to remember. Let's go to this first one. Three things to remember, no problems equals no potential. No problems equals no potential. Let's go to this next slide, and now here's what I mean. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, just like he did later for that church at Philippi that we talked about. In 2 Corinthians 11, he says these words. He says, I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. So what he's doing here is he's saying, there's some people that are acting like we don't have the right to ask for you to follow our example. They think there's something, but I'm telling you they're nothing. I've done a lot more than they have done for you personally. I've sought you. I've tried to do what's right by you. And besides for that, it's not just you. It's a lot of other churches. And then he says, if you'll forgive me and indulge me just a minute, I'm going to tell you what my life has been like when I've been planting all of these different churches. And then he says, I've worked much harder than those jokers, right? I've been in prison more, that, that's the King James Version, jokers, right? I've worked much harder, I've been in prison more frequently, I've been flogged more severely. We just read one of those floggings, right? And I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. If you don't know what that means, that means that in the Old Testament, they said you couldn't beat a man or woman more than 40 times because if you beat them 40 times, they were very possibly on the verge of dying. And so what the Jews would say is just in case we miscounted, we'll give them 40 lashes minus one so we don't break the law of God. And so five different times, he got 40 lashes minus one that close to death. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones, that means he was trying to be stoned by the Jews, capital punishment. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. Now, I don't know about you, but that's where it would have ended for me because I, I got this thing about sharks. I think I'm the tastiest morsel, like, from here down. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, like I'll be out at Galveston. I'll be like, man, I love this. Weather. Woo, something touched my foot. Is it? It's just me, man. Y'all are judging me. Two of y'all are laughing, and three of y'all are like, mm, "What's wrong with him?" Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a serious question. As I've been joking with you for a minute, but serious question: Where on that list would you have gone? This just ain't for me. <laughs> you know this this Christian work thing. Not sure I'm in the right line of work. Not sure this is for me. I don't know, for me personally, definitely the, 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 the day and night in the open sea, mm-mm. I would just be sitting there sweating bullets, but fearful of something that had never, ever come. But how many times did Paul have to just say, you know what, it ain't about me. It ain't about me. It ain't about me. I'm not afraid. I am not afraid. And who has made a bigger impact on our modern world outside of Jesus than the apostle Paul. I'm not sure there's many people you could put on that short list. He lived a lion-hearted life. He also had a lot of loss. But I promise you, the lion-hearted life that he lived was way beyond his feelings, because his feelings, I promise you, would have stopped with the first beating, much less all the others. All the 39 lashes, and all the shipwrecks, and all the pelting with stones. I mean, I would have stopped a long time ago, and I think you probably would have too. Paul said no. There's something more important and I'm living a lion-hearted life on behalf of the Lord. Let's go to this next last part. I've been constantly on the move. He goes on and he says, there's even more that I've been dealing with. So let's not forget what we know here, the things to remember. Let's go to this next one here. First, no problems equals no potential. The thing that Paul was standing on to those Corinthian believers, he's like, you've seen the problems. I don't persevere through these problems because I have something that I want from you. I'm here to serve you. I, no potential because you've got no problems in your life. The truth of the matter is, is that like I said at the very beginning, people don't want to hear about your perfect life. They want to hear how you've overcome through the power of Christ because they're open in the moment of their hurt and their pain. You understand? So no problems equals no potential, but no pain equals no gains for others. The truth of the matter is, is that when I tell you what I've gone through, you and I we find common footing at the foot of the cross. For some of you, I could relate very clearly with some of you because you and I have been through some very important things, very private things, things that maybe we don't wanna talk about and don't wanna necessarily share, but if we've both been through those together, I have a choice, and that choice is for me to speak up and say, you know what, that actually happened to me too. I've actually come from a very similar background, but I'm gonna tell you something, God is able, And he can heal that and he can redeem that because he's done it in my life. And when I say that, the pain that I've been through ceases to be pain alone and it becomes a gain for someone else if I will open my mouth and if I will say something. Now, let me just tell you, if you keep it to yourself and you go, hmm, I don't want to talk about that. I'm a little worried about somebody saying something about me or I'm a little worried about them knowing that about me or whatever. No pain equals no gains for others. But if I've gone through pain, I may as well give that back and let it be redeemed, right? Redeemed, that word we keep coming through. I'll go to this next slide here very quickly. This quote, here's what you need to understand. If you turn your adversity into a ministry, if you don't do that, then your pain remains your pain. But if you allow God to translate your adversity, then your pain becomes someone else's gain. I have a theory, the more problems you have, the more potential you have to help people. I've heard from some of you guys that y'all appreciate very clearly and very much that I don't ever pretend that my wife and I have a perfect relationship. We talk about that and I try to talk about that really openly, you know why? Not because, not because I wanna share problems or issues or whatever, but because I figured out that everybody's got them. Everybody's got them. Everybody's got those problems and issues and they gotta work through them. And they don't wanna come and talk to me if I can't understand what they're going through. They don't wanna come and talk to me or Shelly and and say, hey, this is what we're dealing with, but you've you've got it all figured out, so tell us. No, they wanna say, you said you've been through this. How did it get fixed in your lives? And then we begin to share what God has brought us through. I try very hard to be very open and honest that I am not a perfect person, nor do I come from a perfect situation, nor do I live in one now. That's why, because I want my pain to be used for God's purposes. Very quickly, this third thing to remember very quickly is that your story equals God's glory. Your story, my story, equals God's glory if, if, if we share it in that way. Go to this next, don't miss this slide. What we experience in our lives either becomes our test or our testimony. It's either our test that we've gone through or our testimony that we share. And we decide how we and others view it. Can I just tell you something? I'm not going to go into it, but I'm just going to tell you. I I took command a long time ago of the things that I did in my life or that have happened in my life that I'm embarrassed about. I took command a long time ago of that. You know why? Because I figured if I tell you, ain't nobody gonna tell on me, (laughs) right? I mean, I already told on myself, so you can't jump in there. And you know what? You're gonna judge me or you're not gonna judge me, but I promise you one thing, you're not gonna think that I think I've got it all figured out or that I was perfect. No, that's not it. Why? Because I know what God has done. I know how God has redeemed. I know what God has brought me through. And so here's the great news. For me and for you, we get to choose not what we had happen to us, but how we define it, how we share it, how our test is turned into a testimony because I'm talking about what God's power has done. And I will be honest with you, for most of us, we're waiting till we get to the end of the story to tell it, but we can't do that because most of us, we need to be aware that we're probably going to be going through it longer than we think. And so here's what we do we begin to talk about it and we say, this is what I'm still dealing with and what I'm still going through, but what the Lord is teaching me today and recently is this. Not that we've already won it all, not that we've figured it all out, but we decide how others view it, we decide how we frame it because I am not gonna sit here and say, this test, I'm gonna keep it quiet, I'm gonna keep it silent, I'm gonna keep it hidden, no, 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 I'm gonna share it and I'm gonna say, this is not just a test in my past, this is my testimony to God's power in my here and now. And I want to live a lion-hearted life. It's got to be bigger than my fears of whether or not you accept it and accept me. It's also got to be bigger than my feelings of whether or not I'm comfortable or I'm not. That's just the way that it is. Can I just say something real quick? Real quick. We've all been given something of a gift as crazy as this pandemic has been. We've been given a shake-up we've been given a new starting line, not only for our church body and y'all looking at home, not only for our church body, but also for all of us personally. We've been given a new starting line. I would recommend that our church be better than we were before the pandemic ever hit. But that's gonna take all of us living a lion-hearted kind of life. That's gonna take us depending and listening and encouraging on one another more so than just on one or two. It's gonna take all of us banding together and saying, this is what we think and believe about our church and what we want it to be as we move forward. This is what we say, this has been a test, and now here is our testimony, amen? amen all right so let's go to this next slide very quickly this is not you with your testimony hey everybody every single person you know somebody driving by hey hey i'm glad you came by my cubicle today because i got on to testimony you know don't do that don't be that guy you don't have to tell your testimony to every single person that you meet you don't have to wear it you know on a t-shirt although maybe i guess wait whatever but you don't have to be this guy but you do have to share your testimony now how many of you guys ever watched American Idol? Can I see your hands? Any of y'all ever watched American Idol? Go to this next slide, yeah. This is me, anytime I see Shelly watching American Idol in our front living room. I'm like, please don't do that to me. She's like, what? They're good. And I'm like, yeah, one of them is good, every season. And then the rest of them make me look like that. I'm like, oh, don't do that. I don't want you to make a fool of yourself. But have you noticed, it's always the same. Like, that's how they used to do it. They used to have these two things that they would always do. One of them was somebody who was horrible and either pretended to not know it or didn't know it, right? You know, that's, uh, she bangs, she bangs, oh, oh, you know what I'm talking about? He became famous for two minutes. You know what I'm talking about. But then the other thing that they would do is they would tell you the sob story. Can I get an amen, American Idol people? You know what I'm talking about. Sob story. You know what I figured out? I used to think, it's like, why sob story again? Not another sob story. Why did they pick out 15 sob stories out of 30 people? You know what I figured out? Here's what I figured out. I figured out that the reason that they did that is because most people who are willing to put themselves out there and sing in front of people that they've never seen before and attempt to do something great have probably overcome something in their past that was pretty hardcore. Most professional athletes, professional musicians, professional writers, and things of that, those people that often inspire us in different ways, artists, painters, things of that nature, most of them have been through some really rough stuff in their background. Why? Because they figured out a long time ago, I can let that define me, or I can be the one who writes the new narrative. And most of the time, they had the sob stories because they were real, they were true, but they said, that's not where the story ends. There's still another chapter left to be written. So, all right, American Idol fans, I hope we're still friends, right? The truth is, is that if you would have stopped right before the earthquake with Paul and Silas, what a bunch of idiots. What are they doing singing these Jesus songs? What are they doing and what are they thinking? Things start rumbling. Oh, maybe there's something to it. Everything changes when God shows up just like that. But you and I have to live in the here and now and say, you know what? Even before it happens, I'm going to give a testimony. The test that I'm facing right now or have faced in my past is my testimony to what God's power can do. And I love the way that the three Hebrew children said it. They said to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, they said, listen, O king, we want you to know that our God is able to take us out of this test But even if he does not, we want you to know that we live our life for the king of kings, not for you, king. And so whatever happens doesn't change the fact that we live lion-hearted lives for the Lord. End of story. And then he took them and threw them into the lion's den. (laughs) Right? So here's the truth. They lived lion-hearted lives, and he saved them from the fire for most of us. We're never that far out we're never that far out to see god moving in that powerfully of a way because we're too worried and too fearful and too concerned about our own comfort all right my time is done but very very quickly i tell you what big question i'm I'm serious i'm going to move this quick is your past a test or is it a testimony to god's redeeming power yet you and i decide let's go to the next one i apply by This week, speak to a trusted person about your testimony. It doesn't have to be this week, but very soon, the next week or two, tell a trusted person, not just any rando person, and then bring, talk about how God is bringing you through or has already brought you through. Begin in that place, because the truth is, is that God is working in your life and in mine. All right, so very quickly, I don't know if you guys know this guy, Ludwig von Beethoven. How many of you have ever heard of him? Of course you have but you guys are hillbillies just like me. You don't listen to classical music. Don't tell yourself a lie. Don't pretend. If I told you what he sang or what he composed and what he wrote and that kind of thing, you'd be like, oh, that, yeah, that's true. dun. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. Ludwig von Beethoven. How many of you are fans now, right? I I got, of course, I did not have these. That's my jam. Ludwig von Beethoven. You're like, oh, Ludwig's got some skills. Most people think he's probably one of the most gifted, one of the most talented, one of the most... Powerful Riders. I did that one, right? Okay, let's go to this next one, check this out. This is called Moonlight Sonata, which I know all of you already knew that, but this is Moonlight Sonata. Remember Moonlight Sonata, because I'm gonna talk about it in just a second. Yeah, Ludwig von Beethoven, right? Now you're like, oh, that guy. He's written all the, all the classics, all the classical classics, right? So what am I saying? How many of you knew that at about age 30, Ludwig von Beethoven actually started going deaf? Did you know that? Many of you did. Some of you did not. This is the way that they characterized it because actually Moonlight Sonata, he wrote that when he was almost deaf. He often would touch the piano and listen to the vibrations of the keys. And if you listen to Moonlight Sonata, it is very, very low, which resonate more and can be heard a little easier if you're deaf. Did you know that? That's amazing, isn't it? And so here's what's very, very interesting. The people that were knowing who Beethoven was, they didn't know what he was dealing with. I want to share this with you. Go to this next slide. He wrote this word, To his friend, he said, I must confess I lead a miserable life. For almost two years, I've ceased to attend my social functions because I find it impossible just to simply say to people, I am deaf. If I had another person's profession, I might be able to cope with my infirmity, but in my profession, it is a terrible handicap. What is he saying? He's saying, I can't bring myself to be vulnerable enough to share with you I am struggling to keep everything together. Most people who knew Beethoven did not like Beethoven because he was a man prone to drink too much. He was a man prone to anger. He was a musical genius, yes. But the problem was, was that his test was not ever afforded to be his testimony. He had to keep it in. And the more that he kept it in, the more, frustrated the more angered he became i wonder this is just purely wondering but i wonder if beethoven hadn't received a lot more accolades when he was alive if he would have just simply said guys you love these songs but just be aware i can't hear so if i screw up if i mess up if i don't do it perfectly or if i don't come in at the level that i was before it's because i'm i'm going deaf at age 30 now as crazy as that sounds what would you and I have thought dude is a musical genius how in the world can you write those kinds of songs and be deaf we would have loved him even more we would have excused the pain and it wouldn't have even been in his life if he would have released it and said this is my test and now I give it as my Testimony. It's got to be bigger than your fears and bigger than your feelings. That's how you live a lion hearted life. But you've got to be willing to say, it's about God and God's power here, not about me. And so, if we can never bring ourselves to do that, we will keep that pain within and it never becomes anyone else's gain. I encourage you whatever you've been through, whatever God needs to be redeeming in your life. Don't hold it. It's not because he can't. It's because you won't. Release it and let him have it and let him rewrite the ending of that story because he is the true redeemer. God, we we come before you asking that you would forgive us. Forgive us for the, the ways that we have put ourselves above what you are doing. And in the midst of it all, I pray that you would receive glory and honor and praise as the one who rewrites stories for your children and for those who are humble enough to come to you. May we also, Lord, be humble enough to share what you have done in our life. You are God, and you deserve every bit of glory, every bit of testimony that we can give. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.